on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You may be seated. Good morning. Greetings in Christ's name this morning. As many of you know, I have been doing a series on end-time events. The last time that I preached here, I talked about how Jesus will come down to the earth and set up his kingdom here on the earth, and how he will make all things right, where there will be peace and prosperity here on the earth, how he will end all rebellion, even in the final rebellion, when Satan is left loose a little season and gathers multitudes of people to go against God. His reign on the earth will last for 1,000 years. This morning, I want to preach about the final judgment and the results of this judgment. This judgment is also known as the Great White Throne Judgment. This is a subject that you might not hear too many sermons on. It is a very sober subject to think about because of the reality of hell and because of the, of the deception of so many people that think that they won't be going to hell. Many people across the world and even in the church have a wrong view of hell and even of this judgment. Many people believe that hell is reserved for people who have committed violent crimes, like Hitler. Even though people would agree that they sin a little, their sin is not enough to send them to hell. There's other people that would also believe that when a person dies, instead of going to hell, he would become non-existent. There will be no afterlife for that person. People believe that it is not literal, that it is not eternal, and that a loving God could never send people, especially good people, to hell. There was a poll done by George Barna in 2000 about what people believe about hell. 76% of Americans believe in heaven, and 71% believe that there is a hell. Only 32% believe that hell is an actual place of torment and suffering. 40% of people believe it is a state of eternal separation from God's presence. 64% believe that they will go to heaven. And only 0.005% of people believe that they will be sent to hell. This morning, let's dig into the Word of God to find out the truth about the final judgment and about hell. 
As I go through the sermon this morning, there are some questions that I would like to try to answer. What will the great judgment, the great white throne judgment be like? What is the purpose of this judgment? Who will be present at this judgment? Will the church be there? Who sends people to hell? Is it God or who? Are people who died before us, are they at their final place of torment? And what will hell be like? First of all, we do need to realize before we think about this, is judgment is for everyone. Someday, every person that was ever born will need to face judgment. They will need to stand before God and give an account of their life that they lived while here on the earth. Hebrews 9.27, it says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. We will experience judgment when death has come or when the church is raptured or when Jesus comes back to the earth. Ecclesiastes 12.14, it says, For God shall bring every work into judgment. God's going to bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Every deed we do, every act that we have done, whether it is hidden or out in the open, whether good or bad, it will be judged. On that judgment day, you won't be able to call in sick or you won't be able to plan a vacation around that time, or have an important business meeting to go to. There will be no exceptions to the rule. We all must be there at the judgment seat. My day, your day, is coming to stand before the judge. We will all be there. John 5, 27, 29, it says, And hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all, all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. God gave authority <clears throat> to Jesus to execute judgment and all will be there. All people that are in the graves will be resurrected, will be at the judgment. Some will be a part of the resurrection of life. They will be forever with God, with Christ. And some will be a part of the resurrection of damnation. They will be forever separated from Christ in utter misery. Even God is preparing for this day. Psalm 9, 7, it says, And he hath prepared his throne for judgment. God's throne is ready for judgment. The foundation of God's throne is justice and judgment. Psalms 89, 14, it says, Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Habitation in this verse has the idea of something that is fixed. Like a foundation of a building. A foundation is something that is prepared first for the structure to rest on. Justice and judgment, righteousness, making things right, are the foundation of God's throne. 
So why must there be judgment? There must be judgment because sin has entered into the world. Sin is corrupt. Sin corrupted and polluted the world and all people. Sin affects and it contaminates. Because of sin, it also separates us from God. Because of sin, there is no way, no way that we could come back to God on our own strength. And the reason why there is no way that we can come back to God is because of sin and God do not mix. God is holy, 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 like it says in Isaiah 6. And sin is corrupt, corrupt, corrupt. Just like oil and water doesn't mix, so God and sin can never mix. The great white throne judgment does not happen just to determine where people will go, will end up. At while that does happen, this judgment happens to get rid of sin, to get rid of all sin forever, so that sin will not be present in our eternal home in heaven. I want to look now at this judgment here in Revelation 20. This judgment, as we see, is a little bit like our court trials here in America. And there are some similarities and there are some differences. Some of the similarities that we see is there will be a courtroom. There will be a judge. There will be an offender. There will be evidence against the offender. And there will be a verdict and a sentence. Some things that will not be there that we see in our courts. There will be no lawyer there for us. There will be no jury for us that will be there. There will be no appeal. This judgment will be final. Let's look at the timing of this event, of this judgment. This judgment happens right after the millennium, right after the 1,000-year reign of Christ after Satan is cast into the lake of fire. And if you have been listening to this series, you know that the millennium happens after the rapture and after the seven-year tribulation, and also after when Jesus comes down to the earth. In Revelation 20, verse 4 and 5, it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the next verse tells us when the judgment will happen. But the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished. And if we see verse 12, we see that the dead are there at the judgment seat. This happens after 1,000 years were finished. And in verse 11 of Revelation 20, it says, John starts out with the words, And I saw. That introduces a new vision that he saw. Different times in Revelation, John says, I saw. It always brings up a new scene on what God 
was showing John. And I believe the events that God showed John and when John recorded for us in Revelation is in chronological order that it will happen in the future. So when we think about judgment, in the future there are three different judgments that, that take place at three different times. And I think this is something important that we need to um, get, that we can understand the judgments that will happen for us. The first judgment is the judgment seat of Christ. And this judgment rewards the Christians after the rapture in heaven. This is when the church will be judged. The second one is the judgment of the nations found in Matthew 25. This judgment determines who is able to stay on the earth to reign with Christ for 1,000 years. The unbelievers go to their punishment by death, while the believers remain on the earth to reign with Christ. And may I add, this judgment of the nations is different than the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment, this judgment, is on all unbelievers who ever lived. They are all facing trial, the unbelievers. At the time of the great white throne judgment, the first two judgments that I mentioned here will have already happened. The judgment seat of Christ and also the judgment of the nations. These have already happened at the time of the great white throne judgment. Let's look at the throne. It says, And I saw a great white throne. This throne is great. I don't think not necessarily in size. It is great because of the one who sits on it. Also, this throne is white. This throne, this speaks of its purity. This throne is dazzling white. Who is seated on the throne? Different times in Revelation, there is made reference to the one who is, sits on the throne. Here in Revelation 20, verse 12, it says, And I saw the dead, and great, stand before God. Revelation 7, 15, it says, Therefore are they before the throne of God. In Revelation 4, 2 and 5, it says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in, in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, and in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne there were tw four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the spirits, which are the seven spirits of God. And that portion of scripture, I believe it's God sitting on that throne. So is it God who's sitting on the throne here in Revelation 20? Let's look at some more verses. John 5, 26 to 27, it says, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. 
And in Romans 2.16 it says, And in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. In Acts 17.30-31 it says, In the times of, the, of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he had raised him from the dead. Speaking of Jesus. And also Acts 10, 38-42. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. So I ask, is it God who is on the throne, or is it Jesus? As we see in the verses that I read. I believe possibly it could be both of them sitting on the throne, but Jesus being the one to execute judgment. So where will this throne, this judgment, take place? Well, let's see once what happens. Um, well, especially to the earth and to heaven. It says that they flee away. They flee away and there is found no place for them. They pass away. So possibly couldn't be there. But what does that exactly mean, that they pass away? I'm going to read some verses that describe the heaven and the earth. Listen carefully. Second Peter 3.10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall mount with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Matthew 24.35, it says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Listen to these next two verses. One generation passes away, and another generation come, cometh, but the earth abideth forever. Psalms 104.5, it says, Who laid the foundations of the earth, that it should not be removed forever? What does this all mean? The first three verses that I read, the earth will pass away. And the last two verses I read, that it will last forever. When heaven and earth flee at the great white throne judgment, God did this another time to the earth in history. Second Peter 3, 5-7, it says, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby... The world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now 
by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. When did this happen, that the earth was destroyed by water? If we think back to Genesis, God had to recreate the heaven and the earth. I think that's the same way it'll be here. But fire will be there instead of water. So we see that this judgment will not take place on the earth. Because there will not really be an earth to have it at. And also it's referring to the heaven as well. Neither will it take place in heaven. Up in heaven where the believers are at. For in Revelation 21, 27 it says, and this is talking about heaven, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. The people that will be at the great white throne judgment will not be in heaven to be judged because of the sin in their own lives. I'm not sure exactly where it will be at. The Bible doesn't say. But there will be a judgment and everyone will be judged at some point in time. So who will be at this judgment? Many people have a wrong view about this judgment I once had. Many people believe that all people will stand before this judge, or before the judge at this time, and the judge will look at their works, which will then determine if you will enter into heaven or hell. But that is not what the Bible teaches. I hope none of you will need to be at this judgment, because at this judgment, there is no one going to heaven. No one. There may be some church people, some church-going people there, but it's not that they're going to heaven. They're going to another place. You probably are asking, I thought that we all needed to be judged. And like I said, yes, we do need to be judged. But it is the judgment seat of Christ where the church is judged. And this happens at a different time. This happens in heaven. After we are raptured, these people, they're not even in their final place of destination and they are judged. I believe it is important that we catch the difference. What does it call these people? It says, notice, it says that he calls them dead. They are the dead people. These people are dead spiritually. The Christians, when they are dead, especially in 1 Thessalonians, when the church is raptured, they are the dead in Christ. There is a difference between those that are dead, dead spiritually, and those who are dead in Christ. And like I said, I go back to Revelation 20, verse 5. It says that the rest of the dead live not again till after the 1,000-year reign of Christ. In the previous verses of that, it tells us who will be a part of the kingdom of Christ, the Christians. This verse is referring to the wicked dead, those who died without Christ. So where did these people come from? This is the time that the wicked dead are resurrected. 
or their spirits will be connected with their bodies. Acts 24.15, it talks about the resurrection. And have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there should be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. All people will be resurrected. Even the sea gave up the dead bodies to the spirits. All those who have died in the sea, their bodies came to life. The spirits, since the person's death, were in an intermediate state, a temporary place till the time of judgment. And we know that or have heard of Hades or of hell. This intermediate state that these spirits are now in and waiting to be judged is not at all a pleasant place, a pleasant experience. These spirits have feelings or are in great anguish and torment. And we can look back at the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, and we can see what he experienced. It wasn't a very pleasant experience. Second Peter 2.9, it says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. This verse is a little bit more clear in some of the other translation, but it, it says that um, it is talking about the, how the unjust are being punished even now in their intermediate state. These people are considered small and great. We see in verse... Um, I forget which verse it is, 12. It doesn't matter if you are the most powerful person with the greatest influence in society. You will be there if Christ is not in your life. It doesn't matter if you're the richest person. If you have the fanciest house with the most expensive car in the garage. Without Christ, you will be there. The one with the most toys does not win in this situation without Christ. Even if a person has no money, very little influence in society, no house to live in, without Christ, they will be there. There will be some surprise people there that thought that they had their life all together. But without Christ, they will be there. This judgment is no respecter of persons. So how will these people be judged? They are judged by their works. These people refuse to believe in Jesus, that he alone can take care of their sin problem. So what do they try to do? They were trying to live a perfect life to get into heaven. In reality, they can't. Because one failure in keeping the law produces death, separation from God. Jesus brings out the books, which has everything written in that book. The works which every person did. What exactly is written in this book? Or in these books? In Romans 2 it says that he will judge the secrets of men. Only you and God know what is secret. But you will be judged by your secrets. 
In Matthew 12, it says that a person will be condemned by his words. Are you pushing off salvation? Are you saying to yourself with your words, no time now to think of religion. I'll get saved by and by. You'll be condemned by your words. Jesus also brings out the book of life. What is the book of life? Revelation 3, 5, it says, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Those that are overcomers and those that are clothed in the white raiment, they will be in the book of life. These people are the saints. God will not blot out their name. He will not erase or wipe it away, those who are Christians. I want to read a phrase from David Jeremiah's book that helps us understand um, what the book of life may be referring to. And I quote, First century cities kept bound registers listing the names of everyone born within their walls. Citizens convicted of heinous crimes should be, could be blotted from the register and exiled from the city. And another phrase that I want to read from by Henry M. Morris, and he's speaking about the white, or the book of life that is presented here at this throne. And I quote, One can speculate that besides, beside each person's name as entered in the book at time of conception will be recorded the time of his age of accountability, the date of his conversion to Christ as his Savior, and evidence demonstrating the genuineness of that conversion. However, if there is no entries for the last two items by the time that person dies, the entire entry will be blotted out, and an awful blank will be left in the book at the place where his name would have been. Exhibiting this blank spot in the book will be the final and conclusive evidence that the person being judged must be consigned to the lake of fire. Jesus will not grade us on a curve like some school teachers might do sometimes. He will not judge according to what our culture says is right or wrong. Jesus will judge in righteousness. When Jesus cannot find their names written in the book, he will say the saddest words, I never knew you, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Can you just hear the people cry out in anguish? Please search the book again. I thought my name was there. And But Lord, have we not done many wonderful works in your name? I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Judgment will be final. There will be no one there to back them up. They will be all alone. Let's look at the sentence. What will the sentence be for these people? They will be cast alive in their physical bodies, literal physical bodies 
into the lake of fire where they will be forever and ever. And notice what God does to these people. Verse 15. He doesn't just set them in the lake of fire or he doesn't just calmly place them there. You know what God does? He casts them into the lake of fire. In other words, he throws them into the lake of fire without caring where they fall. This is how we treat garbage. We throw it away, not caring where it goes. Isn't this sentence a little harsh? Shouldn't God be a little bit more merciful? If we could just for a moment view sin the way God views it, I think we too would act the same way. Like I said, God and sin cannot coexist. So who sends people to hell? Is it God? Is God, or God is the one who, can, who is in control of hell. In Luke 12, 5, it says, But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. This is talking about God, whom we should fear. But is it really God that sends people to hell? No, it is not God that sends people to hell. In fact, he has done the exact opposite to keep us out of hell. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is God that provided a way of escape so that we don't have to go there, so that we don't have to experience hell, so that we can be saved from this place. That is the whole purpose of salvation. So who sends people to hell if it is not God? The one who sends people to hell is the person that rejects the plan of salvation. It is the people that go there. They are the ones that send themselves to hell. It is not God. The law of sowing and reaping applies in this situation. If during your lifetime you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap life everlasting. The same with our gardens. If we plant corn, we will get corn or beans or strawberries. The same with this. If we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. So what type of people are in hell? Revelation 21, 8, it says, But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All these will take their part in the lake of fiery, 
even those who do not believe that Jesus is enough for them. Unbelief doesn't seem that great of a sin compared to some of these other sins, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, and idolaters. But unbelievers, even they, will experience the lake of fire. The most wicked man will be there, and also there will be some people there and that in our eyes, they were good people. The bottom line is that they didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis once said that in the end, there are two groups of people. One group says to God, Thy will be done. These are those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and will live forever with God in heaven. The second group of people are those to whom God says sadly, Thy will be done. These are those who have rejected Jesus Christ and will spend eternity apart from him. So what will hell be like? In the New Testament especially, Jesus referred to hell as Gehenna. Gehenna is a picture of what hell would be like. It's an actual place. Gehenna is an actual place that is outside of Jerusalem. And this is a place where the people would put their filth in garbage. And also they would dump the bodies of dead animals and also the bodies of criminals into this place. And in this dump, they had a fire going all the time to burn the trash. And in this place, it was a great place for worms to live. This is a good description of how hell will be like. And this is what Jesus used often to refer to hell as. In hell, people will be aware of what is going on. They will have their memory, just like the rich man did in Luke 16. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be fire and brimstone. There will be separation from God forever. And I think that is the most saddest thing. Hell will be eternal, just like heaven is eternal. We can readily agree that life in heaven will go on and on forever. That it never stops. But that's the same for hell as well. It goes on and on forever. It will never stop. Often we read that the worm is there. Back at SBI this past minister's week in February when I was there, Elijah Yoder asked the question, if there's animals in hell, the worm dieth not there. Think about that a little bit. Well, hell is an awful place to go to. The Bible does teach that there will be different degrees of punishment there compared to some others. And I think possibly the difference is those who have never heard the gospel message preached to them will have a lesser degree of punishment compared to those who have heard the gospel message Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. 
and refused to accept the plan of salvation. But may I say again, hell will still be hell, whether it is a lesser degree of punishment compared to a greater degree of punishment. So this past week, I was preparing for this sermon. There was a man dying. Yesterday, while I was busy getting mulch, wanting to put it on my flower bed, in which in a couple weeks, the flower bed will not look nice, it will be very weedy, the man died. That man was my neighbor. And I had failed to tell him about Jesus. While this subject is a very sober subject to talk about, we need to accept this as truth and prepare ourselves for that day. We need to be busy preaching the gospel, telling others about the plan of salvation. The choice is up to each one of us. You don't have to experience hell. God made a way of an escape. So how do we prepare ourselves for this judgment? Ecclesiastes 12, 13 to 14, it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, which, whether it is good or whether it be evil. We need to fear God and keep His commandments. Another way that we can prepare ourselves is Hebrews 9, 27, 28. And as it is pointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The way to prepare yourself is to look to Jesus. John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In closing, I want to read a chorus out of a song. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, What will he do with me? Let's kneel to pray.